In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we're going to continue talking about how Christianity is the end of religion. I had mentioned this yesterday, and um, this isn't my thought, this isn't my original thought. This is um, a person who's written on this uh, quite beautifully is uh, Father Alexander Schmemann in his book, For the Life of the World. But we're going to continue this, and, and what spurred me to continue this is that this morning I read a few articles that were written yesterday, just by chance, talk about the timing. And the first article, which didn't really say much, but it had the title, The Problem with Non-Theological Religion. And it's this article that describes basically atheists versus people of religion and what tends to be the debate and this author highlighted that what so many Christians like to debate when they debate atheists is that they don't mention anything about God what they do in their debate is they just kind of mention about Christianity or any religion it's good because it keeps order in society keeps people in check and uh, these debates just fail to mention any word about God, who He is, and what He has to offer us. And it's interesting, because you would think that if that's an important topic, that would be one of the first things that are mentioned. But they try to prove the value of religion without speaking about God. It's a big problem. And it led me to another article by an atheist, uh, which was really actually very interesting. And he wrote, he wrote that he says, I, I have come to think that this is how atheism wins, for lack of a better term. He says it's not through confrontation. Now, this is, keep in mind, this is an atheist writing. He says it's not through confrontation, but through abstraction. The abstraction of teaching, of religious teachings, and the abstraction of religious teachings into meaninglessness. What, what does that mean? He says just, just kind of make these religious teachings so general and so broad that they have no meaning in and of themselves. He goes on, he says, for religion, is become, is, uh, so for religion to become so far divorced from its intellectual and spiritual foundations that it becomes whatever you make it to be, to be. For Christianity's teachings to become a pure canvas onto which one can paint whatever one feels like in the moment. He's, so he's saying, this is the, the goal of atheism now, and there's actually this what's called a new atheism movement. It's not new, it's about 20 years old. But in this movement, it's just, let's make Christianity so broad, so just general, and let's take away from it its intellectual and spiritual foundations so that when they get these, these Christians to debate atheists in a way that it's, yeah, religion is good because it keeps order in society, or religion is good because it keeps people in check, it makes religion not that much more interesting than just being a good person. Being a good person and not bothering anybody, not doing anything wrong. 
He says, already for decades, um, there's, there's been this decline of religiosity. And it's, it's brought to atheism so many believers whose daily lives don't really show that they even believe in God, despite the fact uh, that to believe in God is to believe in His existence, which is the single most important fact in creation. But that's, that's really not what's happening here. You have Christians that really just don't believe. They're just trying to be good people. And so this attack on Christianity is exactly what's going on now in our day and age. We, we love to see everyone as the same. Everyone is good. As long as no one is harming another person, it's okay. And the bottom line is it's our fault that we've lost sight of what Christianity really is. We've fallen into this trap of believing that Christianity is a religion. And you might be confused. You're going to have to go back and listen to what I said yesterday and the day before. But Christianity is the end of religion. And so because we do think that Christianity is a religion and we try to promote it, we, we promote it in, in a way that's all wrong. And we start to talk about it in ways that are all wrong. We, 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 we think about it in terms of it involves religious activities. So you have religion and it involves religious activities. And since there are religious activities, there must also be non-religious activities unrelated to God or the church or the sacraments. So I, I therefore have this religious life and a non-religious life. I like to pray and, I don't know, I like cars. I like to light candles and I like to have a barbecue. I like to go to midnight praises and I also like to go to a baseball game. I like to attend Holy Week. I also like to go fishing. I have my Christian life and I have my non-Christian life. They might say, now wait, Abuna, I'm still a Christian when I go fishing. And I agree, yes, you are. But then we've stepped out of the idea of Christianity as a religion. If I were to ask you, show me a good Christian, uh, what would be expected of a good Christian? You might say, well, this person over here, he's an excellent Christian. But you wouldn't say he's an excellent Christian because he goes swimming or he goes fishing. You'd say no. You'd say something like, that doesn't prove, if a person goes fishing, that doesn't prove that they're a very good Christian. We have, so we have this dichotomy ingrained in us where we have Christian activity and we have non-Christian activity or activity unrelated to me being a Christian, an activity that anyone could do, anyone could be involved in. That's a mistake. That's a problem. And that's, that's, that's what we're trying to undo right now. Another way of looking at it, which uh, I thank my wife for pointing this out to me. Um, one of, this priest had this great podcast and he talked about this. He talked about this exactly. And he says... He says, the, if we think that the purpose of our religion is, let's say, our ascetical practices, that we only care about the external form of our services, if we only care about singing the tunes right, or if we only care about what kind of icons are in the church, or if we only care about what kind of property we own, or if we only care about saying the Jesus prayer, or how many times we said it, or how many times we said our, prayed our Agbeya, or how many times uh, we prayed Psalms, <coughs> All of that's going to be for our condemnation in the end. Because those are not meant to be ends. Those are meant to just be the means to the end. The means to the end. And uh, as St. Paul said in, in, in his book, to the, to, in his writing to, the Tim, to Timothy, he said that there are these people that hold the form of piety and the form of righteousness, but they don't bear fruit. We can hold the form 
but we deny the power, we deny the purpose. And that's why, you know, the fathers of, and this is continuing on with this priestess, is the fathers are all in favor of liturgy and services and sacraments and rituals, of hymns, of psalmody, of beautiful ritual activities like what we're doing here. And that's all very important because we are bodies, we're humans. And we all have these things that we need. It's, it's good to have nice churches. But its purpose is to produce fruit. Its purpose is not to be the end. So the ascetical practices of reading the Bible, of coming to Bescha, of saying prayers, of going to church, of singing psalms, doing prostrations, bowing down, of doing fasting and abstinence, of staying up all night, keeping vigil, of staying awake, doing all of these they have to be for the sake of the fruit. They cannot be understood as the faith itself. Otherwise, that's a religion. And that's not what we are. We're not just, this is our religion, we do it like this. No. There has to be a fruit. It has to be that, that, that in itself is something that pleases God. This relates to today's theme of the fig tree. It also relates to the, today's theme of the bridegroom. This priest goes on, he says, the, that God would be pleased in seeing a tree that has leaves, so long as there's fruit. Now, you know, he cursed the, the tree because it had leaves, but didn't have fruit. So God would be very pleased with the various liturgical activities and services and rituals and songs and everything that we do. That's very pleasing to God with our prayer and our fasting. All of that stuff is very pleasing to God. But it has to have fruit at the end of it. Jesus himself condemned those who make all these things like the rituals and everything to be an end in themselves because they only have leaves. They only have leaves. So the leaves are very important, but we can't only have leaves. We have to bear fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, however many and abundant and even beautiful our leaves might be, we will be cut down and cast into the fire because faith in God and in the gospel is not about rituals. It's not about our worship services being an end in themselves. It's not about our ascetical practices being an end in themselves. They're about producing fruit, the fruit worthy of repentance, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They're about loving with the love with which God in Christ has loved us so that we could love others as well. This is what all of these things are for. But you can't have fruit without leaves. It doesn't make sense. Without them, without these leaves, we're not going to be able to do anything because then we will not open ourselves up to the grace of God. You see these practices, and what we're doing here is to open up ourselves to God and, and to open up ourselves in a real way so that we have the leaves in order to bear the fruit. But it's the fruit that must be born, and we, are, we have to be totally interested in producing fruit. And this is clearly seen in this image of the fig tree. So when we say that, that our faith is not a religion, when we say that our faith is not a religion, what we are trying to understand is, then what is Christianity? What is this that we're doing? Leaves, of course, are the practices that we do and are meant to produce fruit. But you cannot have fruit without leaves and leaves without fruit, both. You can't have one without the other. When Christ came, he did away with religion and he ushered in this new way 
that we are to be in a relationship with God. Many of the fathers taught us this, that God became man so that man might become God or become divine. And what we do in our faith is a huge combination of practices that carry deep theology that draw us closer to becoming like God, draw us closer to becoming more and more like Him. We were created in the beginning, in His image, in His likeness, and after the fall, that was, uh, it wasn't completely destroyed, but it was damaged. And so we spend our lifetime returning to become like God. So what is church? Well, at the heart of it, why do we go to church? Is it to hear the word of God, to become better people, to be closer to God? All of those are good reasons. But there are certain things that you can only do in church. And this is, this is I think, one of the most difficult issues for us to understand as Christians that there are only things that you can accomplish in church with one another. You can't do this at home alone. You can't do this with a group of, of few people. Everything fits like a, like a puzzle piece in order for us to have this, first, this big picture. One of the things, among many, that we cannot do except in church is that we can only be married to the bridegroom who is Christ through and in the church. Much can be said about Christ as the bridegroom. But let me just remind you of a small Traparian or litany that we say during the midnight hour. Much can be said, but let me just remind you of this. In the midnight hour we pray in our Agbeya, Behold, the bridegroom is coming at midnight. Blessed is that servant whom he finds watching. Now it's interesting, he doesn't say the judge is coming. It doesn't say God is coming, the Master is coming, it says the Bridegroom. And all of the parables, many of them that we are listening to about the Kingdom of God, relates to this idea of the Bridegroom. He comes at midnight. He who he finds sleeping is unworthy to go with him, dead in the spiritual life, may be filled with a bunch of leaves, but there's no fruit. Therefore take heed, O my soul, so you, that you may not fall into a deep sleep, and then be cast out of the kingdom, but watch and cry out, saying, Holy, holy, holy are you, O God, for the sake of the Theotokos, have mercy on us. How do we constitute His bride? It's one thing to imagine Christ as the bridegroom, and we can have many nice things to say about that, but how do we constitute His bride? We have to begin with the story of Eve, she was taken from the side of, Ab of Adam. She was the bride of Adam. Then we continue to Christ, who is the second Adam, Romans 5 or 1 Corinthians 15. When Christ hung on the cross, he was stabbed with a spear, and this detail is only found in the Gospel of John, which is important. He was stabbed with a spear to see if he was still alive. Blood and water flowed from his side, and I've heard this so many times, oh yes, blood and water means he's a living person because only blood and water flow from that side. But that's such a weak point when it comes to the larger issue, which is that since this was recorded in the Gospel of John, not in the Gospel of Luke, who was a physician and might be interested in these types of details, but it was recorded in John who spiritualizes everything. Nothing, no detail in that 
and that gospel is without purpose or meaning. Usually it relates to something big in the Old Testament. Usually it relates to something big in the sacramental life of the, of the church. Origen emphasizes that the water that flowed from the side, or what flowed from the side of Jesus, was the water of baptism and the blood of the Eucharist. What does that mean? What does that mean, the water of baptism and the blood of the Eucharist? You put those two together and you have the church. Baptism, Eucharist, you are part of the church. So add to that detail also that it came from his side. I'm sure he was bleeding all over the place, but it's specific that John said he came from his side, which is where Eve came from Adam, and it's where the church comes as the bride of Christ. And then you add to it again, St. Paul's teachings in Ephesians chapter 5, specifically verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he has Christ and the church as his bride, and you have husbands and their wives. But what does he do for the church? He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. That's going to be important later. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is a great mystery. And I mean in reference to Christ and the church. The next time you go to a wedding and you listen to the Pauline epistle, do not think about it superficially. Think about this great mystery that St. Paul is speaking about. Now add to it another level, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is recorded in Revelation 19 to 22. The Lamb of God reigns. He invites us to His marriage supper. The marriage supper is between the bridegroom, which is the Lamb, and the bride, which is His church. The church is where all of us individually become collectively the bride of Christ. The church is planted in the world as the paradise that we were kicked out of, but now is, we're kind of reunited with this paradise. It's a place where we come to the tree of life, which is Christ on the cross. We partake of the fruit of the tree of life, which is Christ in the Eucharist. And we are sustained and given eternal life in the church. The church is oftentimes minimized, oftentimes kind of pushed to the side when we talk about Christianity, when we talk about God. We like to equalize everything. We like to say, it's all good, it's all okay, as long as we're good people, as long as we believe in Christ, as long as we believe in, in God, but we fail to recognize the necessity of the church. And it's one church. And Christ is the head of that one church, as is written in Ephesians, as well as in Colossians. Listen to what St. Irenaeus says about the church. He says in his... Uh, in his uh, against the heresies, he says that where the church is, there is the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there is the church and all grace. And the Spirit is truth. For where the, so where the church is, that's where the Spirit is. And where the Spirit is, that's where God is and all of His grace in the church. So what's the point of all this? So we become part of the church through baptism and through partaking of the Eucharist. 
But, but what is all that? We mentioned this before. That's all just, that's the leaves. That's the leaves that we're talking about. What, what are the fruits? What are the fruits? The fruit is that in the church, we become true members of the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's a work in progress. It's something that requires all of our time, all of our attention. We want to be those people that are accounted as those of the bridegroom, or those of the bride, who are the bride for the bridegroom. And I encourage you to take this idea of how, how desperately we need to be that there, and to come and, and think about that on Apocalypse Night, when we read the entire book of Revelation. And just remind yourself, there's no other place that I want to be except there in the kingdom of heaven at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So what are we looking for? What are the fruits? The church that we declare, we say we believe in one, holy, Catholic, apostolic, orthodox church. That's all well and good. But in order for you to be members of the one, only, holy, Catholic, apostolic, orthodox church, you have to have characteristics of that. So, for example, when, it, when we talked about just, just holiness, right? That St. Paul said to husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That he might present the church to, be, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He gives himself up for us so that we will respond with holiness or a pursuit of holiness, a pursuit of splendor, of being without spot or wrinkle. So when we talk about being part of the one church, this is our basic point of our existence, is to be part of the church which is the bride of Christ. And everything that we do, everything that we do, all of the services, all everything that we're, we've got going on here, which I'm not downplaying, but I'm saying this is all secondary. This is all secondary to being true members of that church. If we're not part of Christ's one church, then we're, it's questionable whether we can even call ourselves Christian. One Christian is no Christian. That's for Tertullian. You can't be a Christian by yourself alone in your room at home. You can't be a Christian apart from the church. And this isn't meant to say, oh, all of those other people are in big trouble. No, this is for us. This is for us to judge ourselves, not to judge other people. Are, am I a member of the one church? And this, the parish, this parish, just like any church, it can't just be a church, like among many churches. No, we have to be part of that one church. That means our faith has to be part of that one church. Everything we do here, theologically speaking, has to be part of that one church. And not only does it have to be one church, but in that one church has to be unity. There can't be division. And we have to fight for unity on a day-to-day -day basis. Unity doesn't, just mean, doesn't mean that uh, everybody agrees with one another. But unity means that we, no matter what, are willing to live and die with that person. We're willing to, to give our life for that person. We're, living, we're willing to suffer with and for that person. And that unity has to be protected so... Um, so, um, um, I don't know what the word is, I can't think of the greatest word, but it has to be protected at, vehemently at, at all costs. 
that uh, St. Cyprian said that if you bring division to the church, even the blood of martyrdom cannot save you. Even the blood, to die as a martyr will not save you from dividing the church. St. Augustine, anyway, let's not go down. This is a very important part of what we have to be characteristic within us. We have to be holy. If we're part of the holy church, we have to be holy. Because everything is, is about God, is from God, and is for God. Everything must be holy. And we must be determined and inspired by God to be holy people. Holy in everything that we do. Holy in our conduct inside church. Holy in our conduct outside church. Remember the example of fishing, right? I can be somebody who is, is, is conducting myself in a holy manner as I go fishing, as I go to a sports game, as I go shopping, as I, whatever I do. That holiness has to be part of it. And when we say we're holy, that means we belong to God, sanctified to God. Look at this, uh, at this altar here. Even though it's not consecrated, we use this altar for the sacraments. Now think of anything that is not, uh, it does not go with a holy life. Uh, a pack of cigarettes. I throw a pack of cigarettes on, on the altar. Anyone here think that that's okay, right? No, it's, it, it, it will shock even a smoker, right? I mean, what are you doing? That's not right. But if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Then am I supposed to be any different from the altar? My activities should reflect what I would, what, what I would do in this space or, or on that table. This is the idea of holiness. We have to be Catholic, which doesn't mean Roman Catholic, but has to be full, complete, whole. Everything we do, Everything we do has to be for everybody and with everybody. And we have to remember that we are the household of God, which is the church. And, and there are so many different ways to understand this Catholicity or this, this idea of being Catholic. Um, because I'm, I'm going a little bit long, I'm just going to give kind of bullet points and maybe in the future we can talk about this more. The idea of being Catholic means universal. That means all the teachings, all the services, all the activities is open and expressive it's open to all and is expressive of as much of God as we possibly can and it also has to be open and inclusive to as many people uh, as, as possible so that everything that is good and holy and true is, is, is seen and is practiced within the church Catholicity means that the church is not just for Egyptians the church is not just for money. The church is not just for uh, older people. The church is not just for intellectuals and academics. The church is not just for deacons. The church is not just for uh, children. It, it can go on and on. And of course, the struggle is to coexist together. And this is how we have to struggle to be Catholic. Catholic in our nature, Catholic in our beliefs. Lastly, is, is apostolic. Apostolic means, of course, founded on the, root, on the faith of the apostles. But more important, apostolic is sent out, each and every one of us. Go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them um, and, and baptizing them. That's not just the job of the priest, but the job of, of all of us. And if we're supposed to be sent out, for sure we're sent out to uh, San Juan Capistrano. I mean, this is the most obvious of places that we've been sent and our apostolic service towards the people here is that we are meant to be a light in this place, which means following the parking rules, right? 
It means, you know, don't, don't block anyway. I found out, by the way, that, that that Volvo was parked there. It was from the, the other people, not from us. Uh, but do we go and complain and make a big stink about it? Not yet. We just, we just wait for this to boil over. Now, um, all of this to tie things, everything together is that we said that Christianity is not a religion, but it's gearing us, it's giving us all of these leaves so that we can produce fruit. Tonight we should meditate on being that bridegroom, or that bride for the bridegroom. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And that everything that we do in the church, all the sacraments, all the services, everything is so that we can become more and more divine, more and more like God. And that to be part of the church is not to follow a certain set of religious activities, but to be involved in the church and to be in the church is to be striving for that fruit, to use all of these activities, so to speak, to strive for fruit. Now, don't pick and choose. I, I really, I really uh, urge you, don't pick and choose the activities you want to be a part of, thinking that those are the most beneficial. You should have a spiritual father who guides you and tells you, this is good for you. It's like a, like a doctor would do for any individual patient. You know, try this. Okay, that didn't work. We'll try that. Maybe that doesn't work. Okay, we'll have the third thing. Or we'll just keep trying things until we figure it out. Um, and that's okay. I mean, I, I know that there's, there, there might be some sort of um, more science when it comes to medicine. But there's also a lot of faith. I, I read one article that, you know, some... some um, some medicines, as simple medicines, even just aspirin, we don't know everything physiologically about what it does. We just have faith that I have a headache. This thing hopefully is going to, you know, be the, be the, the right thing to, for me to take. Um, so then we come to church and we have all of these activities urging us and, and to incorporate us into the body of Christ. And being part of the body of Christ, being part of the church, we are hoping to be able to present ourselves uh, holy and sanctified. Holy and sanctified, uh, set apart uh, in a way, uh, consecrated in a way, completely devoted to our uh, God, our Bridegroom. To Him be the glory, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and ever, unto the age of all ages. Amen.